Thank you, Steve. Uh, just <clears throat> maybe one uh, one more welcome, and then uh, one or two more announcements. We do want to welcome Fred and the kids here. Uh, Juanita has been here for a little while, but we do want to welcome Fred and the kids. It's good to have you all here and with us. Uh, so be sure to to welcome them and to uh, encourage them as they're here with us. Um, just a, a couple words of, of announcements. Uh, next week, um, uh, uh, Mark Sandberg will be bringing the message to us. Um, tentatively, that is the plan. He's agreed to that, although I haven't heard from him <laughs> in the last week. So uh, if not, we'll find somebody to do that. Um, but uh, so, so that'll be encouraging. And then the week following that, um, we have uh, a man by the name of Avi Snyder, who is the director, the European director for Jews for Jesus. Uh, and so it's going to be a real privilege. He's going to be here on July 2nd uh, t- to bring the message. We were going to have him speak at a different time, but felt like that, um, uh, that to, to get him in front of the most people possible that we would give him a, a Sunday morning. So that'll be that'll be exciting. So happy Father's Day. Um, you know, there, there is it's it's challenging on uh, days like Father's Day and Mother's Day to to get up here and bring a message uh, for several reasons. Um, one of them that I always want to keep in front of us and that I don't want us to lose sight of because I want us to be uh, sympathetic uh, and, and I want us to have a good perspective about this is that, um, you know, sometimes on these days of celebration like Father's Day for some of you. Um, thinking about your earthly father is is not really a day of celebration. Um, sometimes our earthly fathers can bring more pain and hurt and damage to us than they can good, or they did good. And uh, so I want to be aware of that. But I also want to bring you as we're as we're talking about this. I want I want to constantly on these days bring your attention to a, a, a bigger focus. And that is, is that as believers in the Lord, aren't we so thankful that although our earthly fathers may, all of our earthly fathers have failed us, we have a heavenly father who loves us and is perfect. And not only that, but we have a heavenly father that has told us that as Christians, as believers, that we have been adopted into a new family of believers, and that as we gather here in a local congregation, that we've got new fathers, new mothers, new brothers, new sisters, and that we've got children. And so this morning, as we look at this scripture, I want us to keep that in mind. Uh, I, I was reminded this last week as I was studying in First Timothy where Paul is writing to Timothy and he calls him uh, my son in the faith. I was just reminded of that again this week that, you know, that we have spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. And so as you are listening this morning, uh, as I am going to be challenging us as fathers, please don't turn your ears off. (laughs) Don't turn your ears off because this is a word that we all need um, Male or female, or for that matter. And so, uh, but I do, I do want to lean in on the males this morning. I want to lean in that we as men set the tone as, as fathers. And uh, you may not have children and you're a father. Uh, you may be 
pretty young and you can play a fatherly role to some of the young children here in this congregation. You may be pretty old and you can play a great role in, in line of significance in lives of uh, younger men. I do want to say at the outset, I'm, I'm thankful for my father. Um, my father, uh, uh, probably nobody has had a greater impact on my life than he has. Great man, great, great godly man who uh, uh, I just look back on my life and I'm so thankful to the Lord uh, for being able to be raised up in a home with a man uh, like that, who's, who's shown me how to, how to, how to not only how to work hard, but how to love well, um, and who uh, much of what I'm going to talk about today, he personified. Um, not perfect. Um, I, I hope that you know this. Um, I hope that my kids know this. What I want my children to do is to see um, maybe the ways that, that the, the few things that I may get right as a father, that they take those and hold those dear, but also have the ability to reject what they need to reject. And as earthly fathers, that is what happens to us, and, and that's okay. But this morning, this morning, I want to lean in I want to lean in. I want to talk to the men of the congregation. Um, and, I, you know, as I looked and thought about this, I saw uh, no better way to do this than just to continue our study in Romans. If you've been with us, we're going through the book of Romans. Uh, last week, we got through Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 12. And this week, Lord willing, we will get through verse 13. Uh, so we are crawling a little bit, but I think it's important. And I, I hope this morning that you will see that God, through His Word, His Spirit will just illuminate this text for you. So, let me just, because it's important that you know where we are uh, in, this, in the context here. And so, where we are in, in chapter 6, verse 1, Paul uh, gives us this question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? And then for the next ten verses... He tells us, no, we are not to continue in sin because that is not who you are. And he tells us that if we're a Christian, if we are a believer, that we've been united with Christ. And not only have we been united with Christ in his death and his burial. Uh, so in other words, not only has, have our sins been forgiven, have our sins been paid for, but we've also been united with Christ in his resurrection so that in verse four, Look at this verse. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death in order that so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, so too we may walk in the newness of life. And so the, the key here is that uh, this so too, so that we may walk in the newness of life. And then if you were here with us last week, we talked about verse 12, that, that here in verse 12 in chapter 6, Paul kind of turns again and gives us the first imperative or the first command. And therefore, since you have been raised with Christ and called to walk in this newness of life, therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. And so what an important verse about Christian living and how we are to walk. As Christians. And, and this week, this week, we're going to look at verse 13. 
And, and, and in looking at verse 13, we're going to see the key is, is how sin can be defeated in the life of a believer. And I don't think as a father, as a man, there is a greater gift that you can give to your children Outside of teaching them the gospel, I do not think there's a greater gift that you can give your children than to teach them how sin in their life can be defeated. And so this morning, the way this is going to look um, is that there are four things that I want us to get out of this verse. And as we go through these verses, I'm wanting to try to speak right to us and give us some real practical ways to... Um, to, to look at these uh, to look at these points and some practical ways to 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 live these out. And so the first thing that I want you to see in verse 13. And let me read it again. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And the first thing that I want you to see in this text is that there is a king. I'm so thankful for Randy and Steve. It just warms my heart that we have uh, men in our congregation that as they stand up here and pray, as they lead us in worship, that they lead us to the throne of the king of the universe. And in the verses that we here in our call to worship, as we are called to worship God, that it talks about God's sovereign rule over us. There is a king. And you may say, Lewis, the verse doesn't say that, but look at the language. And there's two, two words that are repeated through here that I want you to see that, that denote this kingship and denote this proclamation that there is a king. The first is, do not go on presenting, and then later, do present. This whole idea of presenting yourself before someone is this idea that you're presenting yourself to a power or an authority that is greater than you are. And we see this again in, um, in verse 16 and in verse 19. Look down with me, if, if you will. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either to sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? And again, in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification. And so the whole idea here of presenting yourself, you're presenting yourself to a higher authority. And there's another word here in the text that gives us this, this same connotation that there is a king. And it's the word, uh, and this is translated in various ways in our text. But the word that in my text says instruments. Uh, uh, presenting your, the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from your dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That that word carries with it in the Greek uh, 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 military connotations. Other translations may have weapons. And so we are to present our whole entire bodies as weapons either to unrighteousness or to righteousness. And so the idea that, that would have been in the minds of, of the church as they received this letter would have been, 
you're present, you are giving yourself to a higher authority. And what I want you to know this morning is that there is a king and it is the almighty God of the universe. And Christians must consciously choose to place themselves at the disposal of this master and king. And these verses are telling us is that God is to be our master and not sin. Now, one of the things that I think of, you know, I ask maybe crazy questions uh, to myself. And maybe a problem is the first time that I say them out loud to anyone else's up here. <laughs> that could be problematic sometimes. But I had this thought, you know, in my head as I was studying and I was working on this. I don't think anyone really would say, hey, I want to serve sin. A believer, right? I don't think anybody would consciously say that. And so I think we've got to think a little bit more deeply about this. Okay, how is it that we don't present ourselves as 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 our whole bodies in service to God and righteousness? How is it that we present our bodies to unrighteousness? How is it that we're making that conscious decision? And I think it's all wrapped up in the, in the very same way as, as Adam and Eve in the garden, where the temptation was is wanting, they wanted to be on the throne of their own lives. They wanted to be God. And I think as a Christian, I think as a Christian, this is where we get wrapped up as well. So I don't think that a lot of times as a Christian that we're, we're saying, hey, I want to serve sin. I think it's trickier than that. I think that we want to serve ourselves. And this becomes the biggest temptation for us. But. If we see God. As who he is. As Steve was praying today, as we see God as this wonderful. Mighty. All loving. All powerful king that he is. There's no choice. There's no choice. If we have communed deeply with the Lord through his word and we see God as God, there is nothing greater. And it becomes our highest privilege and our highest honor to be his child, to be his kid. And any desire to do something different. Any desire to do something different displays that we're not thinking rightly about God or we're not knowing him like he is. And so, fathers, you men, we need to know this great God. We need to spend time in this book, this book that was written by God and given to us to display who he is. We've got to spend time in this word and one of the pursuits, as we go to this word, we've got to be asking ourselves, what does this tell us about this great king whom we serve? And men, we've got to get our brains around this and we've got to do this. And let me tell you, if you want a place to start, just go with us through the book of Romans, because one of the things that you come away from the book of Romans with is a picture of a big and awesome and mighty God. And so men, we must know this great God. And it's not enough. It's not enough. 
It's not enough, men. Fathers, it's not enough just to know this. Men, we need to be teaching our kids about this big, great, awesome and mighty God. And we need to do this with words. Do we talk about the greatness and the majesty of God to our kids? You need to if you don't. We need to be setting the stage and displaying to our kids about how great God is. And the third thing that we need to do, and I think this is where we get off and we present ourselves to unrighteousness, is that we need to fix the me-centered theology that our kids possess naturally and that we still struggle with. And what I mean by that, the me-centered theology is that, and we see this all over in our culture, that life is not about this great God and His glory, but life becomes about Lewis. Or life becomes about my kids. We are doing our children a great disservice because they will never win the battle against sin if we allow them to continue on in this me-centered theology. And it's, to be honest, it's evil and it's mean to let our kids think that this life is about them. Or, dads, that it's about us. Now, how may we subtly do that? I think sometimes we do this unknowingly by the whole tenor of our household being about don't upset dad. Dad has worked really hard all week. Don't upset him. That, that as, as a dad, that it's only our job to be a provider, to come home, to be a provider. And that's it. No, we've got to teach our kids that there is a great king On the throne, he is worthy of all of our praise, all of our honor, and it is a joy. And we'll get into some of this in a little bit, but it is a joy. It is a joy and our deepest pleasure to lay down our lives with a big God at the center of our life. And we've got to be teaching our kids these things and we've got to fix this theology. Now, the second thing I want you to see in this text. So first, there is a king. Secondly, there is a choice. Notice, notice in the language here, do not go on presenting and then later do present. So there is a choice and this choice, this choice is for believers only. Unbelievers don't have this choice. Unbelievers cannot be instruments or weapons of righteousness. Why? Because they are not in relationship with this big, great God of the universe. But as believers, we see in this text, we see that there is a choice. And not only that, but remember last week, the reason for the choice. If you were with me, I'm not going to have you scream it out. (laughs) But if you were with us last week, the reason for the choice, remember, and let's look at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. That we talked about last week, that that we have mortal bodies and while we're living in these mortal bodies, we will struggle with sin, we will struggle with lust, we will struggle with unrighteousness. 
But what Paul told us last week, I'm tempted to go all the way back into it, but is that that sin has been defeated. It has no power over us. But while we're in these mortal bodies, in other words, until we get to heaven and get our new bodies, that there will be a struggle. And so what we see here is that there is a choice. There is a choice. And you must know. You must know that there is a choice and you must know what the choice is between and you must teach your children this, that the choice is between giving yourselves as instruments of righteousness or giving yourself as instruments of unrighteousness. And we're going to talk about what those words mean here in a minute. But one of the things that I want to bring up right now is fathers. How do you discipline your children? How do you discipline your children? When we discipline our children, are we getting to the to, to, to the root of why we're disciplining them? Or are we taking our children to, you know, hey, Lewis, this is why you're being disciplined here. Here's the big picture. Here's the ultimate picture of why you're being disciplined or. Or would our kids say, and this is tricky, we've got to fix this. Or would our kids say that the reason they're being disciplined is because they have upset you? If that's the result of our discipline, I fear we're never taking our kids to the place where they understand. We're going to talk about righteousness and unrighteousness. Ultimate purposes within the universe that we're just again laying out this foundation um, where the choice is between upsetting dad or not upsetting dad. And that's not the choice that we want to ingrain in our children as they go through life, because as they get older, they're going to need the backbone to be able to stand on their own two feet and to give themselves as instruments of righteousness, either to God or to sin. So we've got to teach our children. We've got to get to the why. And one of the things that one of the things that uh, somebody instilled in me a long time ago, and this does not mean that I do this perfectly, but one of the ways that we do this is that we, we also have to in, in teaching our children, that there's a choice. One of the best ways to do this is to teach our children to take responsibility for their own actions, which means, by the way, dads, we've got to take responsibilities for our own actions. It means that when we get when when there's a sin pattern in our life, uh, the, the other night I um, got I'm going to say this nicely. I got too loud with one of my children. And you know what everything in me wanted to do, wanted to justify that action because of what the child had done. What is that teaching my child? This was a good moment for me. <laughs> the next day. I went to that child and apologized and said, there's never any reason for me to get that loud with you. There's never any reason for that. Are we teaching our children this? Dads, are you taking responsibility? Are you letting your children know when you mess up? And when you're doing that, are you taking the blame on yourself for your mess up? Or are we teaching them this whole idea of I didn't have a choice? And what I mean by that is I didn't have a choice because when you did this, it made me get loud. 
That's baloney. And don't let your kids get away with it either. (laughs) Don't let your kids get away with sinful actions because of what their brother or sister may have done to them that resulted in them doing whatever they did. Don't let them get away with that. This is so important. This whole idea that there is a choice and that we have a choice in these matters. In order to in order to, to to be able to choose rightly and to keep our kids choosing rightly, uh, there's a great verse in the Old Testament, a great series of verses in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 11 verses. And you all know these verses. Gary, the other day when we were dedicating the Hatton Twins, read, uh, read these verses. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and 18 through 22. And just listen. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart. So these words of God need to be on our heart and on your soul. And you shall bind them on a, as a sign on your hand. And they shall be on the frontals on your forehead. And you shall teach them to your sons. Talking of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk along the road. And when you lie down. And when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates so that your days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens remain above the earth. For if you are careful to keep all this commandment, which I am committing, commanding to you to do it, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to hold fast to him. And so, fathers. These verse, what it means is the commandments, the precepts of God, that we are to have these in and around us at all times, on the doorpost, on the frontals of your head. I don't know if that means a tattoo. As some of the younger kids I've walked by and they were talking about tattoos on eyelids this morning. But you're to have them everywhere and you're so to be reminded of them. And so fathers are the precepts of the Lord. Are they around us? Are they everywhere? Do we talk about them when we're sitting down, when we're standing up, when we're laying down, when we're walking, when we're in the gates, when we're going through life? Are we talking about them? Because if we're not, we're not raising our kids with an awareness of what the Lord requires of us. And so therefore, if we're not doing that, we're taking some of the choice of what they're presenting their members to out of the equation. And I can't tell you the number of times that I talk to um, teenagers or uh, kids in their or young people in their 20s or whatever, and they're getting ready to make huge, colossal mistakes and they're from Christian homes and their parents have kind of rubber stamped whatever they're getting ready to do. And the reason is, is because, well, this our culture has just shifted. This is what everybody does. The precepts of the Lord are not being set up and the foundations and the call to righteousness is not being laid out. And we have to do this. So there is a choice. There is a choice. Thirdly. Thirdly. There is a purpose. There is a purpose. Look at this text again and see if you can 
glean what the purpose is. Do not go on presenting your members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So there is a purpose, and the purpose here is that for your life to display something. That as a believer, our life is to display righteousness. And what this text tells us as a believer is that there's no neutral living. That you are on one side or the other. And so the purpose here for the Christian is to give our whole body, our whole life committed to God. Now let's define this. What in the world does Paul mean here to present yourself and your members as instruments of righteousness. Well, we know in one sense we could say that righteousness is a right standing before God. Right? We've used that definition. But when we're talking about righteous living, when we're talking about righteous living, we're talking about godly living. And, and, and as we talk about this, I don't want you to miss it because I don't want to be misheard or misunderstood, which, is, uh, which happens in a sermon like this. But when Paul is talking here about presenting yourselves and living uh, as, as instruments of righteousness, he's not talking about earning godliness. He's talking about displaying godliness. Now, get this. He's not talking about earning. He's talking about displaying. And so, Paul, this is why this is written to believers. As a believer, our lives should be displaying righteousness. Because it's who we are. We have been made alive together with Christ. And so our purpose, our purpose as a Christian, this is how we do this. Our goal, our purpose is to display the beauty of God through the way that we live. The value of God and the greatness of God, our King, to the world. And we do this by loving what He loves. By loving what he loves, people, his word, by loving like he loves, and by acting like he wants us to act. Another way to say this is that our life has a trajectory. We are on a trajectory as a Christian. We're either on a trajectory as presenting our whole bodies and our whole lives in a trajectory of of godliness and righteousness, or we're on a trajectory that we're displaying something that by our very nature we are not anymore. And so, um, here's uh, uh, some, this gets a little tricky. Um, Well, before I go there, I'm going to get you to, if you've got young kids, I'm going to get you dads to ask them something. And this gets a little tricky and interesting. But before I get there, Men, we must teach by the way we live and by the words that come out of our mouth that following Jesus is the only sane option. It's the only sane option. And therefore, by doing anything different than that is not only insane, but suicidal. And you may say, Lewis, that is strong language. Absolutely. I believe it with everything that's in me. I believe in the snares and the traps of this world so much so that if we're not careful, if we're not purposefully setting the agenda and purposefully 
plugging into and, and purposely putting in our children this trajectory, then what we're displaying to them is insanity because it's leading to death and destruction. And so it is strong language. And, and so I, I want our lives, our goals, our aims, our words, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, all this stuff should point to a trajectory that we serve a great and mighty and good king and that we are we not only are we willing to but it is our highest honor to place ourselves in his hands wholeheartedly all in for his purpose for his glory now what i want you to ask your kids this is and this is a great teaching moment i'm not expecting most of our kids to get this one right but if you've got young kids Ask your kids, why does daddy go to work? And it's interesting what they say to you. Now, before you ask your kids why you go to work, you better know why you go to work. If we are going to work as a sense of uh, self-esteem or self-fulfillment, if our jobs... If our position is, is what matters most, if that's why we work, then you can't legitimately answer this question to your kid in a way that's going to be healthy. If our whole reason for going to work is to get money to spend on ourselves or to spend on them, again, we are setting our kids' trajectory into a way, our trajectory's off, and it's going to point them in a way that's not unhealthy unless God just steps in and interrupts that. Why do you go to work? What is your desire for your kids? You know, I had this, um, and this is because this is on, this is one of the benefits of having these type of sermons on your brain. Uh, I was going to, uh, uh, taking Silas to a baseball game yesterday and, um, in the car on the way to the game, here's the conversation that I had in, in, with him. And one of the things that I learned from a Moody radio program to talk about when it, you're talking about sports is that it's very important to let your kids know in the car ride there on the way home that it's not about that's, it's not about performance. That's not the time to correct things, but that they just need to know that you love them and you love watching them play, right? But, but I, I think that's not necessarily enough. And so one of the things that I was talking with uh, Silas about in the car is here's the question. He loves baseball. This kid played for like three hours straight yesterday, and then we were going to the swimming pool, and he told me, if we weren't going to the swimming pool, Dad, I'd want to throw baseball with you. I'm like, I know you would, because you love throwing baseball. But before, on the car ride, you know what I, you know what the question was to him? Silas, tell me things that are more important than baseball. And we listed a lot. He did a great job. Good job, buddy. He listed a lot of things that were way more important than baseball. And I used that time to really invest in him. Here are things that are way more important than baseball. Base, I love it that you play baseball. I love it that you have fun playing baseball. But that's way down the list. Here are things that are more important. Here's what makes your life count. And so let me ask you, what is your desire for your kids? Later that day, 
We were waiting for our second game of the day and we saw parents nose to nose, five-year-olds, ready to fight. In his second game, uh, if you don't know baseball, if you know baseball, you'll understand this. If you don't, I'm sorry, I can explain it to you later. But a kid ran home, close game, kid you know, went, went home. There's a guy on third that's supposed to tell you to stop or go. The kid went. He was out by a mile because our catcher had the ball. And so his, who, this man comes out and starts, says, starts screaming at the third base coach. And the third base coach said, I didn't tell him to go. I told him to stop. So then the man turns and screams at the child. Then he smacks him on the back of the head. To which me and other dads started screaming. Instruments of righteousness. And I mean that. I mean that in this case. I don't care whether or not he's out. What I do care about is the, the soul of that poor little child. And one of the parents from the other team said, Y'all be quiet. It's his dad. Which I said, it doesn't matter. Because this game doesn't matter in that sense. What is that telling, those two stories, what is that telling our children what matters most? Competition? Winning? That's not what we need to be teaching our kids. What matters most is godliness and their relationship with the Lord. And so you parents, I want you to test yourself here. If your child comes to you and tells you, I'm not going to college. I feel God leading me to this ministry opportunity in the inner city. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with if your child tells you, hey, listen. um, I feel like God may be calling me to um, to go and to minister in Iraq. And you know in the back of your head that that means that they may never get married or they may never give you grandkids. Are you okay with that? Are you okay when your child graduates from high school if they pick Jordan, India, Haiti, the inner city over Harvard, Brown, or Princeton? Are you not only okay with that? But are you thinking inside of yourself? Okay, this is what God is doing. This is good. They're following the Lord. We've got, we've got to instill this in our kids. And I've got to hurry here. But I want to give three things on this point. One, talk to your kids about the real meaning of life. We've got to have conversations like I had with Silas in the car. We've got to be having these conversations constantly with them. We've got to be talking to them. You know, I'm also a big fan. Here's here's number two in this. I'm also a big fan of um, uh, one of the things that we did this past Christmas is that uh, uh, typically um, that's one time a year that we may take a chunk of money and. Uh, that we have sent it, uh, given it to, to various organizations or to missionaries. And this year, um, we let our kids pick. Now, they couldn't just pick anything, right? 
We gave them the scope. We talked with them about what was important. And we let them pick where the money went. Let your kids see you giving, not as a matter of pride, but as a matter of setting a pattern for them of what's important. Setting a pattern for them of, 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 of why daddy works hard, why daddy gets money. And, 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 you know, and so, men, I know that some of you may need to change some of your goals before you can do this, but it's important. So let them know. Let them in. Let them in on decisions. Talking to our kids about will we foster again? And what's great about talking with your, our kids about this is that there was no hesitation. And Flannery at two is a mess. I thought we may get some kickback. The only kickback was, it, let's get a boy this time. And we're like, well, we don't decide that. We don't decide that. And one of our kids talked about, well, what if we get a child and they have to go back? And that would be sad and that would be hard. And you know... Those are grand opportunities. That's right and that's true. And these are grand opportunities to talk about the gospel and what our lives are about. And please don't hear me saying these things as a model. I'm just trying to help you learn as a family of ways in which we can be raising our kids so that they know how to fight sin. Then they know how to follow after righteousness versus unrighteousness. And that is that there's a life, there's a trajectory that we have to be on. The third thing is this. Put good heroes in front of them. And some of the best heroes I think you can put in front of your kids are missionaries. And the reason for that is, is that these are men and women who have given everything to go. And I I think that we should be, because they are, they're, they're heroes. And we should be putting in front of our kids men and women like this so that they have this trajectory in their life of what it means to be successful. Because this verse tells us, this verse tells us that we are to present our bodies, our members as instruments of righteousness. So dads, do this for yourself and do it for your kids. And the last thing, the last thing is this. There is a way to present ourselves. And in this verse, it tells us we're told how to present ourselves. Look at verse 13. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. What in the world does this mean? What does it mean to present yourself to God as one alive from the dead? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean reluctant obligation. So what this text is telling us is that if you leave from here this morning, and you say, oh, okay, you know, the... The, the preacher guy said this, and so, goodness, I guess I'm going to have to present myself to God as an instrument of righteousness. That's not what this text says. It shows that there's something wrong deep down and inside you. This text says to present yourself as one that has been brought, as those alive from the dead. How in the world do you think we are to present ourselves as one who has been made alive from the dead. You know, God doesn't drag us into His surface service. We'll get in some time when we get to Romans 9. <laughs> you know, one of the questions that's asked is, you know, well, if, 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 ele- if election is true, then do, does God drag people into the kingdom? And that's not, we, we never see that in the Scripture. There's never a place where somebody's like, I don't want to follow the Lord. And he's like, yes, you do, you know. 
We'll get into that then. We won't go into that right now. He also doesn't drag us into his service. So I think when we're when we see here these words as one alive from the dead, it's talking about our motivation for the choice that we're choosing. It's talking about our affection. It's talking about our heart. I think a good example of this is, you know, this last week we had this horrific incident um, of the senators getting uh, the, the congressman getting ready for the baseball game. Right. And the guy comes and shoots shoots up and that, that from all reports there, the Capitol Police saved many, many lives. And, and I watched, I don't know if you watched, I didn't see it live, but I saw as, as one of the policemen as he's he's on a crutch and he's throwing out the first pitch of that game. And so I think about. Think about these men and do you think they treated these Capitol policemen differently the day after than the day before? I mean, let's say that they were very respectful and kind to him the day before and loved him. And what was the difference? When they saw that these men had laid down their lives for them, there's a there's a sense of endearment. That comes from that. How much more. How much more. Than we have a God. That sent his son. Not only to pay for our sins. Not only so that we don't have to pay the punishment for our own sins. Not only so that we don't have to spend eternity in hell. But we serve a God that not only provided a way. By sending his son to die, but also raised him up from the from the dead so that not only are our sins paid for, but that we may live in this world and for eternity. With God. How much more should our hearts be leaping with joy and should our attitudes be of excitement and joy and endearment? It is unspeakable. All I have is Christ, as we sing. And all I want is Christ. So we need to teach our children. We need to let our children know who they are as sinners. We need to let our children know this great God that we serve. We need to let our children know that God sent his only son to die for our sins. And that if we put our trust in him, that we can live with him. And they need to see us joyfully, willingly, not out of stubborn obligation, laying our life down out of joyful submission to this great king that we serve. And this is the greatest gift that you can give your kids. Is teaching them how to fight sin from a heart that loves Jesus. Man. If we do this well, church, and it's going to take all of us doing it together, not just those of us who have kids, it's going to take others coming along beside of us. And there are some awesome fathers in this congregation. There are some awesome fathers who don't have kids in this congregation. It's going to take all of us. And so I'm asking you, join with me in this fight. In this fight versus sin versus unrighteousness to create 
and atmosphere in our own life and in the lives of our kids where they lay down their lives for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of displaying to the world the beauty, value, and worth of our great King, our God and our Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a great, great Father. We should, be, we should stand up here amazed that you have loved us, that you have adopted us as your children. And God, if there is one here among us who is not one of your children, God, I pray that somehow through this message, your spirit would just lean heavy on him or her. And they would see you. They would see their sin for what it is and see you as the hope. God, for the rest of us, I pray, Lord, that we will become a people who fight sin well. And not only do we fight sin well, but we help others in this fight against sin. God, you have given us yourself and you have given us to one another for this purpose. That we may be sons and daughters of you that display you accurately to the dying world around us. God, just impress this upon our heart. God, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.